0: The words of Moses from the book of Deuteronomy have no equal in the Bible for their emotional power. The equivalent for us today would be the words of Franklin Roosevelt in 1932 when he faced the Great Depression and those of Winston Churchill as he rallied the British people during most of World War II. Both men turned to a powerful new weapon, the radio, speaking to people in their homes. It was intimate. Neither men could have gathered the whole nation together. But with this new facility, they could be there with people, literally by the fireside, in their homes. And in this way, help to pull them through the hard times, helping them to endure. Moses is also offering his people a personal plea in what he sees as his last chance with the people he loved. He had led them through dangerous times having to manage their many complaints and rebellions. Here Moses is speaking to them for the last time his words to the nation at the end of his life. It is an emotionally charged and tearful swan song, if you like, that we have before us in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses passionately goes over and over the same ground, occasionally lashing out, but more often than not, he is showing the anguish and love of a doting parent. Gone is the temper and the irritation of the younger man, He has grown with them. He is the doting parent and he wants to love them into doing what they should. And of course there is also the undercurrent of sadness, because Moses knows he will not be joining them. He will not cross over into Canaan with them and share their triumph. The promised land will not be open to him. God had revealed that Moses would die before he entered. And maybe there is a scent of doom for Moses, a feeling of despair as he undertakes the reality of the Israelites emerging from 40 years in the Sinai desert into freedom. All of them were jubilant, except for one man, Moses. For he knows deep in his soul that the entire history of the Jewish nation depended on what happened next. Poised on the banks of the Jordan, they were about to face the most critical test of their lives. How would they react to the new land? Would they keep their covenant with God to obey him and only worship him, the one God? Or would they reject this covenant for all the new enticements they would find in this new land? These desert-bred Israelites had spent their lives in near-isolation, Sheltered from civilization and knew little about other cultures, exotic religions, or the glittering wealth that would both surround them and seduce them. Moses warned that if they failed to obey God's law, they would be uprooted from the new land and scattered all over the earth. They would become a thing of horror and an object of scorn and ridicule to all the nations where the Lord dispersed them. This happened, of course, at least three times in their history, this displacement on a massive scale to Assyria, to Babylon, and finally when the Roman Empire invaded Israel in 70 AD, or CE, destroying the temple in Jerusalem and looting all the sacred contents. So the challenge Moses puts to them here in our reading this morning is pretty blunt. And this is the crunch. The straightforward message is so demanding and absolute that it will be unpalatable in reality for the Israelites. And maybe literally unbelievable for many modern listeners and maybe even hard to tolerate. The words in the Common English Bible are closer to the Hebrew than in other Bible translations. So what it is actually saying in Hebrew is, Look here, today I've got before you life and what's good versus death and what's wrong. So life and what's good, it is, versus death and what's wrong. And nothing else. This is not about mere existence here, but religious practice, obedience to God's law or teachings, and the loyal worship of God. It is the direct opposite of the lip service offered by the Jewish nation at so many times. Lip service is not what God wants. Moses is speaking these words to people on the brink of the Jordan, people in danger of going back over the Jordan into exile. If their hearts turn away, they are not obedient, and they bow down to and worship other gods, they will be destroyed. They will not live long in the land they are crossing the Jordan to enter. Moses' words were a way of giving them One last chance of life and prosperity. You have a choice, he's saying, a great, big, simple choice. The reading from Deuteronomy this morning, the reading itself, is far from comfortable. The words Moses speaks at this critical time are challenging for the Israelites, as they are for us today. Before being able to talk to you about this passage, I had to do some pretty hard thinking. What did I make of these words? I probably churned these words and these verses for about three days, just to let you know. Well, the bottom line is that there is only one God. There are many competitors for the throne in our world. His throne is being challenged by so many things in a secular world, so many enticements, so many glittering prizes. But either God is the only God, or there is nothing. However, although this is a simple choice between life and death, it is not an ordinary choice in the ordinary sense of the word, or the world. For it is not between alternative means to a good end. We can't choose one or the other, and the result will still be good. Or we can't choose the lesser of two evils. The choice is between life and destruction. Death had been coming for a long time to Israel. We understand why Moses is in despair and pleading with them. Because he knows, he knows they have already chosen their destruction. To be straight here, we don't want to be dead people walking like the Israelites because we have made the wrong choice in the most fundamental way. Let me quote Paul from Galatians. Because when he calls us the Israel of God, Paul moves the story onto us, Christian readers today. The story of the Israelites is our story. Like them, we stand on the brink facing life or death, prosperity or destruction, blessing or curse. In every age and everywhere, we are faced with a great, big, simple choice. Moses is preaching to us here. In verse 16, he lays out three definite commands. To love God, to walk in God's ways, to keep God's commandments, his statutes and his judgments. In verse 20, he presents it slightly differently to love God, to listen to God's voice, to hold fast to God. Moses is urging a relationship with God, not merely the existence that the Israelites have been acting out, the lip service that they have so easily fallen into. In the Gospel reading from Luke 14, Love for God is depicted as a whole personal experience. Not meaning personal in the sense of, oh, that's a personal thing, but it's a whole person experience, not just with our intellect, not just by emotional response from time to time. So our choice is far more holistic because it includes our commitment to be with God and to do with God. And we are being reminded, the expectation is there, that we will behave in appropriate ways with each other, to love one another as I have loved you. It's quite interesting looking at the words of this service this morning, this common worship, Holy Communion, because all the words in the service really are based on the foundational truths in Deuteronomy. Worshipping the one God, our Lord, the one God. Cherishing our neighbor. It's all there. Jesus' commands are not a burden or impossible. We often see them that way, don't we? They are more a way for us to remain faithful for us to mark our Christian identity and also enabling us to respond to God's initiative. We are there when he wants us. We are in the right place. We are ready to be and to do. It's about discipleship. And here Luke also goes through the cost of discipleship for there is a cost. Here Jesus takes faith and commitment to a whole new level. He requires complete devotion from us. Therefore we cannot elevate ourselves or even our family above him. Jesus is not calling us to hate our family. It's quite confusing when you look at these words in Luke 14, that's what it seems to be saying. But if you look at the parallel text in Matthew 10, we understand it more clearly. We're being asked to put God first. Our first loyalty must be undivided. And the logic that would follow on from that is that if our first loyalty is to God, and we are following God's statutes and what he wants us to do, then everything else, including our relationship, with our family and friends will follow because it will be in the right order and in the right way. This is the same blunt instruction as in Deuteronomy. Let me finish with two major positive points from Moses to dwell on when he says, now choose life and for the Lord is your life. This is what he tells us, we choose the Lord and we choose life and it is our choice, Amen.